Hey, Space fans, we've launched a brand new Twitter handle, at LMSpace, devoted fully to giving you exclusive access to the Lockheed Martin products and missions you love. Welcome to Lockheed Martin Space Makers, the podcast that takes you out of this world and brings you behind the scenes of some of our most challenging and innovative missions. This week, we are doing special coverage of the Artemis One mission which is launching NASA's Orion spaceship, designed and built by Lockheed Martin, to the moon. Today, we learn about a special payload traveling with Orion to the moon called Loon IR, and we talk with the chief engineer about why Orion is the only spaceship designed for deep space. I'm Lauren Duda with Lockheed Martin Communications, and we're here with John Ricks, our Loon IR Program Manager. John, can you tell myself and our viewers a little bit more about Loon IR? What is it, and what is its mission? Yeah, absolutely. Loon IR is a 6U CubeSat that's going on the Artemis One mission. So with this launch, there's going to be 10 CubeSats on the launch, and we're one of those 10. This one was developed and, uh, by Lockheed Martin, paid for with our IRAD funds. And so what we're trying to do is prove out a tech, technology demonstration of our new sensor. So we're, you're talking about proving out new technologies with this smaller mission. And to give our folks an idea, Lunar is about the size of a shoebox, so it's pretty small. Um, can you tell myself a little bit more about um, the special technologies that are on Lunar and what makes them so unique? Absolutely. So the Loon IR sensor is, the key piece is, is the micro cryocooler, which is a brand new cryocooler development that helps the sensor be cold enough to take the infrared images. And it is the smallest, lightest weight cryocooler ever flown in space. And so that demonstration of that new technology is, is really exciting. And then along with the cryocooler, we also have what's called an NBN focal plane that takes the infrared sensor uh, images. And so that new sensor, that was developed by Lockheed Martin's Santa Barbara focal plane. And it's going to be demonstrated in space on this mission also. So those two new technologies are one of the main reasons we're, we're flying the spacecraft. That's super exciting, and especially with infrared imaging. Um, so this particular camera is special because it can map the moon in both day and night. Could you talk a little bit about that as well? Yeah, that's right. So an infrared sensor, what's great about that is, is you're not relying on the visible light spectrum. You're seeing the thermal spectrum coming up off the surface of the moon. And so you can see the temperature differences of different areas. And those temperature differences can show you potentially what is on the surface. Maybe we can notice that there's water there, or maybe we can see other interesting things happening on the lunar surface uh, because you can see in that, that temperature spectrum instead of relying on the visible light. Gotcha, that's super cool. And so new technologies like that, you know, we can, we can prove them out on smaller missions. Can you talk a little bit about why, you know, these 10 secondary payloads that are riding along on Artemis 1 to space, like Loon IR, why are, you know, smaller technology demonstration missions and secondary payloads like this so important for space exploration in its future? Yeah, so the great thing about these small, uh, these small spacecraft, these, these small payloads that we can do, is it's such a much smaller scope and much smaller budget that we can prove out new technologies, 
try out experiments of exploration without the giant budgets of some of the more, the more full big programs, right? And so we can do lots of high risk, high reward type uh, missions. You can lean forward and, and take, some, take some risks that you wouldn't take on a traditional mission, trying to prove out some of these, these new methods, these new technologies, these new approaches to solving problems. And if we, if we succeed and return great things, that's wonderful. And even if we don't, we learn a ton in the process that can then carry forward to our future exploration missions. So we're really looking forward to understanding these technologies, seeing how they act in space, um, and then being able to leverage that onto future missions, whether future CubeSats, future SmallSats, or even future large-scale exploration missions. That's very exciting. And so my last question for you, speaking about all the things you'll learn, what are you most looking forward to learning from the Lunar mission? I think seeing this, this tech demo payload do its job is going to be great. I mean, if we can see the surface and see some signatures that might show water, that would be awesome. Um, even if we don't, just getting those, those thermal maps of the moon, that's, that's going to be really, really cool. Um, you know, we've never imaged the moon in the spectrum that Luna IR is targeted for. So being able to see those first images coming back in this spectrum that we've never seen up close is going to be really exciting. That's wonderful. Well, I'm very much looking forward to it. I know you are as well. And thank you so much for teaching myself and our viewers a little bit more about Luna IR today. It's been a pleasure. Joining me today on Space Makers is Mike Hawes. Mike, do you mind telling me uh, what you do at Lockheed Martin and how you are connected to the Orion program? Absolutely, so for the last eight years, I have been the Orion program manager, uh, overseeing all of the activities, getting Orion ready for this huge test flight. And uh, after the mission, I'm gonna actually retire, so this mission is uh, kind of my last big milestone to accomplish. And from what I'm hearing is you're actually going to be in the control room when Orion is launched. So how's Orion doing? And this is going to be your last launch watching. So how are you feeling about that? So, the, uh, so I sit in the launch control center. I'm part of the mission management team. Uh, and we still have, you know, kind of the higher level policy uh, questions as we go through the, the launch count. So the team will meet again prior to tanking and give the go for tanking, and then we'll also give a go for launch as we get late in the count. And so that's why I'll be in the Launch Control Center. Okay. Now we had an MMT meeting this morning and uh, had all the briefings from the team, not working any big issues at all. Weather is still looking pretty good. Great. Uh, since that time, Orion has actually been powered up. Okay. Uh, and the team is assessing that data and uh, checking to see that everything's as we expect it and we won't do any other activation steps probably until about four hours before launch. So, and as far as this mission, I am a kid of Apollo, and so getting us back to the moon has been something that has driven my whole career. So it's, it's time, and I think I'm ready for it. Yeah, well, speaking of Apollo, um, what has Lockheed Martin learned from the Apollo and the shuttle programs that has helped design and build the Orion spaceship? So I'll give you a couple examples. Okay. One, you know, the Apollo, uh, a lot of people think Orion looks just like Apollo, so how is it different? Uh, the shape is right. The shape coming back from the moon, that's what you want, is that kind of gumdrop, blunt body shape. And, but everything about the way we design, manufacture, and assemble Orion is totally different. 
you know, it's today's tools, it's all digital transformation based, everything is digitally based. And so it's just a, a real difference. Now the capsule is larger as well, which gives us the capability to do four crew instead of three, like Apollo did. And then for the shuttle, I take the example of, you know, Lockheed uh, for the whole life of the shuttle program built the external tank. And one of the techniques that we developed through the tank was something we called friction stir welding, which really makes perfect metal welds. Uh, and we have employed friction stir welding on our main pressure vessel, the crew module. Uh, and we actually have a requirement where the, Sioux, the uh, crew can survive for multiple days in their suits if the whole capsule loses pressure. Wow. But that friction stir welding is going to make sure that we're not losing pressure in Orion. That nothing happens there. Right. And this segues nicely into, you know, Orion is the only spaceship in the world designed for deep space. So can you explain like what that means and some of the technologies that enable that deep space capability? Well, and to me, it actually starts with what we were just talking about, okay. that friction stir welding and the strength of that structure. I, I refer to it as you really have to start kind of from the bones of your structure. You can't just plug things on and say, hey, I'm a deep space spacecraft. And so we start from the very beginning with the structure, with the welding. Uh, and then it's a matter of all of our avionics. It's tested against high levels of radiation. It's got to be able to survive both high abort loads and the whole radiation environment, which is very different as you go out to the moon. You know, we pass through the Van Allen radiation belts uh, on EFT-1. We actually saw the, a couple of the boxes take hits mm -hmm. and recover. That's what they're designed to do. If wow. they have single bit upsets, they recover. And so you're driven by a very, very different environment. This flight is gonna give us multiple weeks in the lunar environment. So we're gonna get a lot of data. Wow. Well, shifting gears a little bit, uh, you have a lot of experience and wisdom as a senior engineer. Uh, I'm curious, what advice would you give to younger engineers who want to get into the space industry and maybe one day want to do what you're doing or become a chief engineer or something like that? What advice would you give them? So I followed a path that went down the engineering path. I was an aerospace engineer. Uh, I worked for NASA for 33 years before I joined the Lockheed Martin team. Wow. And so, uh, mostly if you're really interested in the technical side of things is going through uh, that kind of engineering or science like physics, chemistry, those kind of sciences can give you the foundation. Uh, but you really learn what it's all about uh, when you're working for one of the companies or the government in terms of really building the space program. Now the difference between when I was coming out of college and now is our space program is so broad. There are so many companies involved, so many different models of operating from more of the traditional model like Orion to our space entrepreneurs and folks building small sets and just all kinds of things. So the, the spectrum of options for uh, folks coming out of college right now is just great. That's awesome, and uh, as the industry grows, uh, there's more opportunities for, for everybody to join uh, the different aspects of the space program and the space industry. Absolutely. Yeah, that's exciting. Mike, thank you for joining uh, Lockheed Martin Spacemakers today. And folks, continue to follow us on our YouTube channel and wherever podcasts are found as we continue our Artemis One coverage. Need even more space? Subscribe to Lockheed Martin's monthly Space Scoop newsletter to get all the latest space news, 
fun facts, and behind-the-scenes mission updates right to your inbox. Sign up using the link in show notes, and remember to follow Lockheed Martin on social media. Hey, space fans. There's a new way to interact directly with Lockheed Martin Space and go even further behind the scenes of the technologies, missions, and people driving the future of space. We've launched a brand new Twitter handle, at LMSpace, devoted fully to giving you exclusive access to the Lockheed Martin products and missions you love. Head on over to Twitter, give us a follow, and let us know what your favorite Spacemakers episode is. We'll see you in the Twittersphere.